On today's episode 15, I'm speaking with Ken Forkish, one of the country's premier bakers and pizza makers. He's the owner of Ken's Artisan Bakery and Ken's Artisan Pizza in Portland, Oregon. He is the author of the James Beard and IACP award-winning book, Flour, Water, Salt, Yeast, as well as the Elements of Pizza. He's received national recognition as a finalist for both the Outstanding Pastry Chef and Outstanding Baker categories by the James Beard Foundation Awards. And in 2020, in the midst of the pandemic at-home baking frenzy, his cookbook, Flour, Water, Salt, Yeast, landed on the New York Times bestseller list. Hey, Ken, welcome to the show. Hey, Julianne. You know, I got a lot of people who are super excited to hear to talk about pizza and bread. (laughs) So I feel like it's been such a hot topic during this entire pandemic. Um, I'm sure you found it quite amusing during, you know, during when everyone was at home. I'm sure you, like everybody else saw on their Instagram feeds, like everybody breaking, making bread or basically like starting for the first time. Like maybe people who are normally not even in the kitchen, like babysitting their sourdough and trying to figure it out. And, you know, I feel like I saw people who from all walks of life suddenly have an interest in baking. Right. Uh, yeah, it was funny. All of a sudden, I was like the baking guide for the entire country. <laughs> right, the god. Right. Didn't your um, book, Flour, Salt, Water, Yeast, didn't it go to the New York Times bestseller list during that time? Uh, it did. Uh, for three weeks that April, it was uh, <laughs> New York Times bestseller. It thrilled me to death. Yeah, but, right. Yeah, that's unusual for a cookbook. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it was great. It was awesome. It had like a whole second wave of popularity because it would it had already won a James Beard. Book Award and also the IACP um, cookbook Yeah, award. it's been the top-selling bread book for most part um, last four or five years anyway. Yeah, well, it's a definitive book, but suddenly, like, everybody was getting it. And there was there was even, like, uh, shortages for flour and yeast. I remember people were bartering for yeast, and that's when sourdough, you're like, just make your own sourdough, figure, figure that out. But Yeah, no, totally. You couldn't buy yeast at the store. We were still able to buy it wholesale uh, in one-pound packages. Thankfully, mm-hmm. uh, so I could keep I could keep the bakery going. Yeah, um, but yeah, there were there were two months when my businesses were closed completely, hard shut. Mm-hmm. Um, we shut everybody shut down on the same day. I think it was March seventeenth, um, and then we reopened my bakery and my pizzeria um, May twenty seventh and May twenty eighth. And uh, so yeah, there were two months of like total quiet, mm-hmm. um, which in a way was pretty cool. Nobody had really had that in our lives or careers. Oh, I know. People uh, and we were, right? You're basically, if you work in restaurants, you work during all the holidays, people rarely take vacations. And if they do, it's just like a couple days, right? And uh, have yeah, you know, um, and for almost two months of that, uh, it was just like sort of rediscovering my core self. I think a lot of people felt that. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people emerged with game plans to change. And then mm-hmm. others didn't. Uh, but I had, um, I, I I stayed really busy. I haven't had a lot of downtime. Um, I've taken a couple of vacations. I've gone to Hawaii, which was uh, during, before people were um, getting vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though you had to get a test to avoid a quarantine, Hawaii was kind of COVID light because everything was open air. One, mm-hmm. They reopened in October um, mm-hmm. uh, 2020. Um, and so I went in December and it was pretty nice that not that many tourists had started going back to Hawaii. That there was a, there was a pocket of time when it was a great place to go and not many people were around. Yeah. Um, I mean, imagine Hawaii without the tourists. I mean, that was, that's what, that's what it was like in December. It was pretty great. I got to run a car. (laughs) The hotels (laughs) were cheap and yeah, now the hotels are charging like two, two and a half times what their previous was. Um, but during the first part of shutdown, um, I, I gotta say part of me enjoyed it because I didn't have to go to work every day and, mm-hmm. um, and work wasn't happening. So my phone wasn't ringing. I didn't have emails. Um, I, I stayed pretty busy because I still had a lot of work things to tend to. Uh, so for example, we, um, you know, at my bakery, um, we didn't really do a lot of cleanup when we shut down. We just did our normal, you know, end of day stuff. And then everybody mm-hmm. left for two months. <laughs> um, right. uh, you know, I did. I had some maintenance to do, so I had some work done on the um, 
uh, worked on in the oven and I had to, to get a new water heater in. And then I just hired a cleaning crew uh, to mm-hmm. like, top to bottom everything, like top of the oven, every single right. thing. Um, and yeah, then there was also a lot of business uh, just financial stuff, you know, after we closed, there was still payroll, there was still rent to pay, mm-hmm. uh, there was still all the vendor invoices to pay. Um, and then I had to like, you know, we had no idea when we were going to reopen and in what form. Uh, so it was very stressful financially at the beginning because there were still all these payables due with at that point, no money coming in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, we had a lot of wholesale accounts that their business dropped, so they couldn't pay me um that first month and a half was uh super stressful i had to take out a, a large bank loan uh mm-hmm. i ended up the bank accounts of the businesses <laughs> just like shit. it was pure survival mode at that point right. it was fine now you know where the ppp loans were really helpful um mm-hmm. they were critically helpful i, I have to say right um, uh, that so, uncertainty you know it's one thing to be closed and say yay we're I'll get a break for a month or two, but it's like, but you don't know if that month or two is going to be like three, four, five, six, or if that you'll ever be able to. We had, we had no idea. And at the same time, we were all worried about getting COVID ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew I was really busy. Uh, and uh, it just seemed like, how could you be busy? There was nothing going on. So I created a little bit of a diary that I don't mm-hmm. usually do. And it's not really a diary diary of, know long form sentences is more like bullet points of what i did each day Mm -hmm. and it's kind of fun to look at it now um just like at the very beginning i had uh it was the it was in the middle of peak allergy season well i don't know it's always peak allergy season in oregon (laughs) (laughs) but at the beginning like i was like oh man i had congestion i had a cough and I was like, so am I getting COVID, you know? Right. You're worried. Yeah. Everything. Anytime you got a tickle in your throat, you're like, am I getting, am I going to die here? I got COVID, you know? Yeah. I'm, nobody even wants to relive it at this point. Right. Um, I, yeah. I was taking my temperature every day and um, I ordered a pulse oximeter for my fingertip. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh. Yeah. It's just like, like, no, you know, what's, what's, what? normal, what's the normal body temperature? I didn't know. It's actually, it's like my normal body temp is like 97 degrees. Um, but what we found out during COVID was that everybody's like the average body temperature that everyone goes by is not really uh, like it's actually a range, and it's very normal to have a higher or lower body temperature. Yeah, it's not ninety eight point six. It turns out. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. Um, you know, I you know I also did a lot. Of, I had a lot of interviews during that time. Um, mm-hmm. um, I did a phone interview like with Fox Media, and I did a phone mm-hmm. interview with Wall Street Journal, and. During those first several weeks of shutdown, uh, mm-hmm. the media kind of went into overdrive of not only what's everybody doing, but what's happening to our restaurants. Right. Yeah, it's a big con- um, it was a big conversation, and you know, to have the restaurants close like that, and you know, there, I always tell people that the restaurants are like the first people to help during like a disaster, natural disaster, yeah, yeah. or anything like that. Yeah. Those are the people who who are feeding the crew, feeding the neighbors, you know, keeping the community, and the and when when the restaurants are so affected, you know, people are like, well, you know, maybe they shouldn't have been in business because they were, you know, they don't have that, that, you know, cushion. It's like, you don't understand how restaurants work, but also, you know, it's everybody's job to save these community restaurants, you know, I mean, Burger King, McDonald's, they'll be fine, but you know, what do we uh, do without uh, our neighborhood restaurants? Locally owned restaurants are the places that really define the community uh, in right. ways that nothing else does. And it's really fun to be part of that world. It's like truly satisfying. <laughs> right. It has a permanent grip on your soul as long as you're active. <laughs> well, you are very much like one of the the key people who I think put Portland on the map, on the food scene, the national food scene. Um, you. you know, I think everyone recognizes that. We I remember being at the uh, the launch party for Feast Portland in New York City, and you were there. You know, oh, yeah. Yeah. There. <laughs> and that was at uh, Saxon and Parole. Um, yeah, Saxon and Parole. That was fun. And, and did, didn't you live in New York for a while or work in New York? Um, I had a, I, I was living in DC. This was late 90s. I had a New York office, 24 um, 7 media. And we were in the, it was an internet advertising um, agency. Got and, it. Um, I, uh, yeah, so we had an office. It was at 32nd and Broadway. Um, and that was really fun time. It was the very, very early days of the advertising world as far as uh, the internet went, which right. is early now. 
Uh, but at the time, you know, I would go to conferences and the subjects were overwhelmingly, you know, with the subject matter was, is there a future to this? Um, you know, will people, will people shop online? Will they click through a banner? Do the clicks mean anything? You know, you know what's your CPM, all this stuff that um, I, uh, it was fun to be in the middle of it. Right. Uh, it was fun to be able to meet people who, you know, were extremely influential with what were then, you know, brand new ideas. Yeah, um, I know yeah. you have the whole separate career prior to anything, you know, food and software and advertising. <laughs> who knew, right? Yeah, you know, there's this ancient Chinese curse, may you live in interesting times. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were one of the forerunners in that. But I remember thinking at that um at the New York City party that you fit right in, <laughs> you know, amongst all that. I wasn't even people. invited. I kind of crashed the party. Oh, uh, really? I was, yeah, I was going to be in New York anyway. I think, were the Beard Awards then? Did it overlap with the Beard Awards? I can't remember. I go to New York oh, anyway. I don't know. I, don't know. You were, you, I, get, you, I always thought of you as a New York regular because, you know, I had um, moved from New York. I'm originally from, you know, Oregon, but I'd moved from New York and then I that was my first job in Oregon was with Travel Oregon. And I remember... Um, I identified you as being like an East Coaster. You know? Oh, I yeah. am. Oh, I grew up in D.C. <laughs> right. So we were I, talking. I love New York. It's, it's my favorite city trip. Um, right. I want to go visit a city. I want to go to New York usually because it's. I always have such a good time there. Well, I remember we were at the party and everyone's, you know, it's like da da da, and you're. I, I guess you did crash your party. I don't know, but you were there. No, and you're I totally like, did. You were like, "Am I underdressed?" And I was like, "No, you look like one of the cool kids. You fit right in." Because you know? oh, like, you're like, you're like in a t-shirt and jeans. Everybody else is all dressed up. I'm like, you look like one of. You look like you belong here. Everyone else is a visitor. <laughs> Funny, I I have no recollection of that conversation. I'm sure you're right though. Oh yeah, it was great, and that was like the. That was like the first time that we actually really got to interact. And then, of course, I got to work with you a little bit um, on Pine Street Market. But I've always been a fan of your, you know, I as a former pastry chef, you know, I'm very particular about pastries and bread. <laughs> but and you go to these bakeries, you know, you see around the country, these kind of anemic croissants, these pale, blonde, puffy, soft things. And just, you know, like, just it's like you get better bread. But I definitely like the pastries and the vinoiseries and things like that. It was just like not very good. But I remember yeah, when I discovered yeah. your bakery, things changed. Yeah, but you know what's really cool is there's more and more and more places where you can get a good croissant or a good loaf of bread. Oh, um, yeah. Way more. I feel like it's in this logarithmic growth period. Yes. Uh, way more than it was 20 years ago when I started or 15 years ago even. Um, and it's um, a lot of people are much younger than I am. Um, and uh, I think it's great that uh, I don't know if I had a part in it, but, you know, it's there's there's this thing about having a craft um, mm -hmm. and and doing something extremely well. And I think the overall movement in the food world in the last 25 years uh, has been to take something that's been out there for a long time, but whether it's pizza or bread or croissant or any other things, ice cream, mm -hmm. for example, um, mm -hmm. that uh, smart people who work really hard are trying to figure out, well, gee, what if we bought better quality cheese? Or what if we, you know, did really great fermentation on everything that we do and that didn't just make a croissant, but made a great croissant that uh, mm -hmm. was perfectly fermented, perfectly laminated and did all 27 things right, you know? Right. Um, and it's easy and really cool to obsess on it. Uh, and then to finally, uh, you know, when someone does that, if they do it well enough um, to open a store and then see a line and people buying it and enjoying it and coming back, um, it's not just one or two anymore. It's uh, it's quite a few. I think that's awesome. Yeah, it's true. There's You can get a lot of um, really great pastries around the country. And I think part of that had to do with, um, it's like the whole food movement. People travel, they, they kind of see the the true authentic versions of what it could be, the full possibilities. And then they're not satisfied with their grocery store croissant anymore. You know, <laughs> it's his own yeah. category. They never should have been. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. But I mean, it's, but I, you know, I remember having distinctly, um, what is it? Your organ croissant? And yeah, it was really Danish, but yes. It had the Marion berries and it had like the, the sugar out on the outside and thinking this is really well done. Plus, it's, <laughs> plus it felt like original to some extent to me, you know, like no one's doing this here in Portland. Yeah, it was. Uh, I've done a few original pastries. Uh, the Oregon croissant is one. It's in a Danish shape. Uh, mm -hmm. we, um, um, you know what a creme de monde is. It's a standard element mm -hmm. in French pastry, which is a blend of 
uh, sugar, almond meal, um, mm-hmm. eggs, butter. <laughs> I mean, how can that be bad, right? Um, right. And um, uh, actually, is there butter? Is it just eggs? I forget. Uh, that's embarrassing, but I actually forget. No, there's eggs. <laughs> okay. um, no, eggs, but the, the butter part, I wasn't sure of. Oh, yeah. Anyway, it's a standard element in French paste. So it's used in like frangipane, it's half mm-hmm. almond cream and half pastry cream. Um, right. And then a classic French stone fruit tart, like apricots or peach mm-hmm. or apple, um, like a tart, uh, a tart Normand, uh, would be uh, almond cream on a pastry shell and then the fruit layered on top and baked. Um, but it, we're in Oregon, so we do the same. Um, uh, we, we do a hazelnut cream, so we replace the almond meal with hazelnut meal. Uh, right. I mean, it's a great hazelnut meal from Freddie Guy's Hazelnuts down in Salem. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the first element in the Oregon croissant is, uh, is a dollop, about a tablespoonful, a little bit mm-hmm. less maybe, uh, on the bottom. Uh, and then we put frozen blueberries on top of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we fold it up into its square, and then we put marion berries on top of that. And then pearl sugar um, when it's ready to bake. Uh, it's that's like I, I used the word croissant back in the day just because I wanted to let it know right it within our line of croissant products. It just made sense to me at the time. Yeah, that's really special. I, you know, I still like them twenty years later after I. They're delicious. Yeah, I think of it as an iconic Oregon thing. Like when you're in. Portland and people were like, oh, what do I eat when I'm in Portland? You know, and they and they got their list from out of town and they're like, they got, um, you know, some, I won't name the donut place, but they got that one donut place that they should yeah, go let's to. Not name it. Right. And, but, but I say, get the Oregon croissant at Ken's Artisan and, you know, just kind of the tick off the things. I was, I think of it as an iconic Oregon, um, eat, must eat. Yeah, thanks. No, I'm, I'm proud of that one because it's unique to our place. Right. Yeah. And then well, you must, um, I'm sure you've seen all the talk about Portland being the articles for Portland. People are saying Portland is the best pizza city in the country. There was quite a few now. <laughs> I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, it's very controversial. People are either like, oh, you know, super happy and they're sharing it. And other people are yeah, like, but that's, well, um, I that's, don't know. That's, that's the fun thing about pizza is someone who's very well known, like Nathan Mirvold, makes a comment like that. And and it sparks passionate conversation, and that's great. Right. Um, you know, pizza has always been that way, you know, uh, whether it's some other, you know, pick your pizza point, you know, shape right. or toppings. And, you know, like pineapple is you know, like, a lot of people, like, totally <laughs> on the fence, one, or, or one side or the other of the fence, not on it. And I'm like, you know, I like pineapple and pizza, and then I'll get all this hate mail. <laughs> oh my god! I know, I know. It's you know, like if you don't like pineapple on your pizza, or... it's okay. I'm not being judgmental, <laughs> but why do you like that? Why do you have to throw shade on me because I like it? Well, you brought you brought it up. So, um, what do you think? Can people put pineapple on pizza? Like, is does it give you you okay with that? Or am I okay with it? Well, yeah, you know, if, if you like, like well, it. Okay, you know. I know you're okay with it, but yeah. you like, um, you know, we had... like pineapple on pizza. I, I love pineapple on pizza. All right. <laughs> I am team pineapple. I am team pineapple. And people think that because somehow people think that pineapple on a pizza somehow degrades the pizza and it becomes like. Well, maybe, maybe they had shitty pineapple on pizza. That's what you know? I say. And you that's know, totally possible. You know, somebody the didn't pizza, do it. The pizza was <laughs> crappy. And then you put like crappy pineapple on it you know of course it's not going to be good or yeah it's also it's not just whether or not you put pineapple on the pizza it's how do you do it and we're very specific so when we it's not always on my menu but for um many times in many years and in my cookbook i have a pineapple pizza but you know we uh we cut the pineapple into uh kind of a medium dice so it's Mm -hmm. a they're small pieces Mm -hmm. um, and then we uh roast the pineapple ahead of time to leach out some of its moisture uh, mm-hmm. And we give it a little bit of chili flake too, because I like just a little dab of heat to go with it. And then offset the sweetness of the pineapple with bacon on the pizza. Right. Um, and so there you have it. <laughs> See, that sounds Not perfectly sad, delicious, right? right? And so I, I, when people get all, well, people get all bent out of shape when I when pineapple comes up on. I'm like, a, a, you're not just putting on everything. You know, I like lots of different kinds of pizzas. And if I'm going to have a pizza with pineapple, it's usually with some sort of pork product, salty pork product, and also nice. with something spicy. And then I'm the same way. I, I like to use, um, I like the, I like you roasting your pineapple. I'm that kind of a little bit more lazy, but I get fresh pineapple, but I cut it into small pieces. 
yeah. like liver yeah. smells like, you know? And so it, you just get a little bit of pop of sweetness with the spicy and the salty. But thank you for validating my uh, pineapple. <laughs> Anytime. I'm here for you. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, pizza, I think the thing about Portland and pizza and what makes it, I feel like I'm okay with that statement. And I don't know if it's necessarily true. There's certainly cities that have a much greater pizza history and, you know, that kind of thing, but that's ooh. the thing, um, yeah. you know, it, you got to take, it, it depends on sort of the, the angle of your commentary. Right. Um, the one thing that Portland has done really well is, uh, a number of pizzerias, um, that are making their best effort to do it as well as they possibly can. And that's not throwing shade on anyone else that's been doing it the same way for 50 years. I really admire the places that have been doing it the same way for 50 years. Mm -hmm. um, and to me, the best pizza town, if I were to say it in the country, is, is New York because of so many reasons. One, just the pure number of pizzerias um, and the history, you know, of course, um, you know, the history of pizza goes back to the great Italian emigration from the late 1800s, the early 1900s, uh, that they landed in New York, and then they went to Buffalo, and they went to New Haven, and they went into uh, some of the manufacturing towns in the Northeast. Uh, but those Italian communities brought their food and their food culture with them. Mm -hmm. uh, and Italian bakeries in New York would um, start out, they would sell pizza and they would kind of use the pizza to cool down the hearth in their ovens and on and on and on. And then you have Lombardi's, which is the first only place that only did pizza. Um, mm -hmm. And then all these places like Totono's, there were spinoffs from Lombardi's from people who had worked there. And then I love that history. Uh, and I love the history of pizza in New Haven, which is um, right. really mm -hmm. deep. Um, the Winchester Arms Factory in New Haven uh, was mostly set by Italian immigrants. And there was other manufacturing there, but there was gigantic culture of gigantic. <laughs> there's, there's, a, <laughs> there's a very large Italian population. Huge, 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 huge population. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> that, you know, they started making pizza and the, the coal fired ovens they made their pizza in were actually they were designed as bread ovens. You couldn't buy a pizza oven because pizza wasn't even a thing yet. Mm. Um, and so for those reasons, you know, the historical side of thing, um, you know, New Haven is still a great pizza town. And it's, you know, partly because there's so many really good, solid family owned pizzerias in New Haven that are not the modern. They're not Sally's. They're not Frank Peppy's. They're like mm -hmm. places we've never yeah. heard of. Right. <laughs> Um, and you know, New York City has a lot of places that are like that too. Um, mm -hmm. We're in Manhattan um, now, but in Queens and the Bronx and uh, even Staten Island, uh, Joe and Pat's, uh, mm -hmm. which birthed Ruby Rosa on the Mots on the in Soho. So you know, uh, to me, it's New York is always the king of pizza towns in the U.S. A large part for all those reasons, right? Um, but. Uh, Portland, there, there are a lot of Portland pizzerias that have this great emphasis on quality of their ingredients um, and geeking out on all these little details. But none of the, none of these places, including mine, are more than 15 or 16 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I am, I'm not going to argue with what Nathan said. Uh, I think that <laughs> it makes a really good point and it'd be silly for me to argue with it. By the way, Nathan and his family had dinner at my pizzeria just last night. Oh, yeah, did they? <laughs> yeah, it yeah, was super great. cool. I mean, he, he knows his stuff, you know, but I think the thing about the Portland, that statement is one thing I like about Portland and the whole pizza scene is they embrace everyone. There's room for every style of pizza. And because we don't have that, that history, like we're not, we're not yeah, we're not like we only do it this way. It's like you can do whatever way you want. Just make it good, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree. But then, you know, the, but then you can't ignore the history. I'm with you. Like when I think about New York and like the history and even like just the fact that it's so democratic, like the dollar slice. So obviously you can pay a lot more for pizza in New York. But the fact that just about anybody can afford a slice of pizza in New York. City. Yeah, I wouldn't eat the dollar slice. Um, <laughs> I, I think a three dollar slice is a kind of the new normal. No. Right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. The quality dollar slice has just taken a nosedive in the last 10 years, and it's not anything to be proud of or fond of. It's um, You're probably right. It is $3 now. I'm thinking when I lived in New York like 10 years ago, and it was a dollar slice. It was it was a better dollar slice 10 years ago. Than it right, was. for sure. But uh, I want to give a shout out to, I would love to hear, do you know who Scott Wiener is? Uh, in no. New York City. Um, no. So Scott's a friend of mine. He, he owns Scott's Pizza Tours in New York. 
And um, this started over 10 years ago. Scott will basically do tours of, he'll, he'll get a school bus and he'll sell mm -hmm. 15 or 20 tickets um, and he'll take it around or one of his people will take it around. They'll visit four or five pizzerias. And okay. at each one, everybody has a slice and they get a little tour of the kitchen and the up the oven and an explanation of what makes this place special. Oh, how fun. I love um, it. Like super cool. And Scott is also, um, he's a pizza historian. There is a <laughs> thing. And there's, <laughs> there's another guy, Colin in New Haven, who actually wrote a book about the pizza history of New Haven. And so um, I would love, you know, Scott is well tuned into the pizza culture of New York better than anyone. It was a lot. Uh, I might have to interview Scott. I track him down. <laughs> he is, oh, he's very track downable. Um, right. He's an awesome guy. Uh, but I have so much respect for the New York pizza scene, partly because of Scott that's opened up my eyes to, you know, how deep and rich it is. Oh, yeah. Well, I've had some amazing pizza in New York. And for me, I mean, I'm I would say New York is the best pizza town. Um, have you been to Lucali? Yes. And I love it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So, I mean, we talk about pizza like that and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's simple and done well, it's consistent and there is a, you know, it's, it's not pretentious, <laughs> you know, no, you no, go no, and have no, a great time no, no. and that's it. Uh, one of my favorites is Keste, um, the Roberto Caparuccio is the owner and mm. Roberto was a cheesemaker in, uh, uh, near Naples, uh, uh -huh. that was his first career and then he moved to the U.S. and, uh, but he's a great pizzaiolo, and he does truly traditional Neapolitan pizza um, in the U.S. Um, it's another place, uh, Luzzo's, on, uh, I think it's on 2nd Avenue and, um, uh, and on the Lower East Side. Michele uh, is another you know, Italian guy who runs that. So there are some places that are more purely Italian. Um, right. Is, is the closest, I think. Uh, it's fantastic. Then there's uh, Lindustry uh, in Brooklyn, mm -hmm. which is everybody's favorite slice joint. They were only like two or three old, two or three years old. Ours mm -hmm. uh, pizza um, is, is pretty great. Um, it was a pretty long list. Yeah. Everybody writing these, write down the list. Cause here's your pizza to go, where to go to eat pizza in New York city list. <laughs> Speaking of New York city pizza, I got to ask you, um, do you, I remember getting um, grandma pie in New York. And a lot of people think I'm like, they just think I'm imagining this thing called grandma pie. Have you heard of yeah. pizza? Grandma grandma pie, pie? It's, it's, it's a known style of pizza. Yeah. Um, there's uh, one that's down uh, Wall Street called Adrian's. Um, mm -hmm. And it's a thin crust. Uh, it's a grandma pie is really, it's a pan pizza. Right. And, and it's supposed to be kind of the, the pizza the grandma would make in the home oven, you know, mm -hmm. um, which yeah. is basically, it's just a pan pizza. It could take, several forms. Mm -hmm. Well, I just remember where I would get off on my subway when I lived in Brooklyn, there was kind of a nondescript pizza place and the, everything was fine. You know, they, they had stromboli and all courts, you know, all sorts of stuff, but they had a really amazing, just really, and it was just a good grandma pie. And, um, and I remember that it had, you know, like it had red onion on it. It had some sort of meat on it, it had, you know, like a variety of topics, toppings, but I, I really like that. And I, and, and it, they just called it grandma pie. And I didn't really think about it until I moved here years later. And I think about like, you know, all the different styles of pizza. And I was like, I really like, and we started, when we started making pizza at home at our house, this was before we had a pizza oven and all that kind of thing. I, I suggested to Gregory that we make a grandma pie because it seemed pretty simple to do in a home oven versus, you know, needing any sort of special equipment. And so but he's like, what's this thing? What's grandma? Are you making this up? And so I was Googling. No, like, it's in my book. It's in okay. my pizza book. Yeah. Okay. Well, he just, he didn't ignore, he just ignored it. <laughs> I think I think he probably did at first because he was he always thinks of pizza being round, you know, like a real pizza. Everything else is like not. Yeah, um, I grew up um, I grew up on Lido's Pizza in the D.C. area, and their tagline: "We make it square because we don't cut corners." Ah, uh, see, you know, yeah, see, makes sense. I always thought when I talk about like school lunch and stuff like that, it's a favorite topic of mine. The school lunch was always a square pizza and it was because they had yeah. to cut it. So it would fit in the little yeah. compartment better, yeah. <laughs> get maximize the pizza out of that. Yeah. And then what do you think about, what do you think about Chicago deep dish? Is that, is that really a pizza? I don't really care um, if you call it pizza <laughs> or not, but to be honest, um, it's, it's definitely, it's uh it, it's a class, you know, to me, um, 
uh, I don't mind calling it pizza. That's okay. It's not the same. It's because, you know, they're, um, I don't, well, they're kind of gut bombs, you know, so it's not, right. you know, one of the things I like about pizza is being able to eat a few pieces. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, Chicago pizza, it's a legitimate style and it's good to eat. I got no yeah. problem with it at all. Yeah. I don't really care whether you think it's pizza. Why, why does this matter? The word? I do. Yeah. When I'm in Chicago, I'll, you know, go because, you know, when in Rome, you know, I'll eat, but I never eat it outside of Chicago, but I'll just eat like one slice and I'm good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've been seeing a lot of Detroit pizza too. I mean, how would you describe Detroit pizza for someone who's never had it? Cause it's, um, it's, it's pizza, bacon pan, but it, I mean, the, the thing about Detroit pizza, when I was writing the elements of pizza, uh, published in 2016, so just five years ago, mm-hmm. um, there was, um, Detroit, I sort of had to describe what Detroit style pizza was because nobody really knew it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, it's become really popular in the last five years among, I mean, you know how things work in the, uh, you know, this world of instant feedback, right? So yeah. somebody influential posts on Instagram of their Detroit style pizza. And then everybody's followed them and says, Oh, Detroit style pizza. And then they start making it and on and on and on. And now it's, right. you asked me this question, expecting that people are going to at least have some point of reference for Detroit pizza. Yeah, they do. Cause now it's available at the grocery store. Like in the frozen right. food aisle, you see like, you'll see all your regular Titinos and whatnot. And you'll see the Amy's and then you see Detroit style pizza. Yeah. You know, yeah. We're, we're so trendy. Uh, that yeah, it's annoying, yeah. really annoying. It just <laughs> turns into, you know, somebody might, you know, I've had people contact me about, Hey, I've been thinking about doing a, a new place that does Detroit style pizza. And I'm like, why? Because it's the new cool thing or yeah. because you have this connection or this is just absolutely the kind of pizza that you soulfully want to make. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, because it's cool. I'm like, all right. That's um, true. But anyway, you know, what defines it, it's going to be a pan that's going to have about a, a the sides are going to come up about an inch mm-hmm. um, and the sides are lined with, uh, grated cheese uh, that's going to probably have some cheddar in it. It might be like half cheddar, half fontina, for example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so, but the goal is that you get this cheddar, that this baked cheese crust all around the rim that is almost burnt. And right. that's the ideal uh, for that. And the, the crust itself will be about a half inch thick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah, you know, hopefully through all that, it's going to be something that you really want to eat if it was well-made. Yeah. Uh, I see a lot of people striving for that lacy kind of cheddar edge, you know, that (laughs) on that that pizza, that's the goal, right? Uh, That lacy, cheesy, crusty edge. So I I just did a a Google search on Detroit pizza. I got King Arthur's Detroit pizza, Detroit style pepperoni on the food network. Serious eats Mm -hmm. has a thing. Uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. Six years ago, I'm writing a book about, and I'm like, it's not even out there. Yeah, like where do right. I find the pizza pans? So the pan for a Detroit style pizza was presumably um, a uh, a metal tray that was used as a tray in automobile manufacturing, like toolkits. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, we have one. We have one of the pans at our at our house, and it's um, it's not like a cake pan where it's straight up. It's slight. Has it ever slightly tilt to it? In like a, so the pizza pops out pretty easily. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. That has that kind of manufacturing history. Uh, there's, a place, there's a place called Buddies, which is probably the best known. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in like I remember when I was doing my research on Detroit style pizza, um, that to them they don't call it, um, to them it's just pizza, right? Yeah. Everybody else calls it Detroit style pizza, but to them right. it's pizza. their pizza. What were you talking about? Well, so pizza. <laughs> you're making this thing into something that it wasn't. Right. <laughs> and then all the people now are, you know, they they're I think they so we started off making pizza in our oven, our home oven on a on a tile. I don't know what, what? you know, like an unfinished shot. Then we then we switched to a steel plate. Yeah, yeah. And, and then we switched to uh making it outside on the big green egg. <laughs> And then we got a pizza oven, like a we got a Gosney Rockbox pizza oven. I know that there's two you brands. Are, there. You've been following all the trends. That's great. Ah, uh, you know, it's not me. It's Gregor. He's been making pizza since your book came out. And How do you like the Rockbox? Well, he's been having really good results, but he just he just it was it's a lot of work, and he was able to really dial it on the gr- big green egg. But it was you know 
it's charcoal and it's, you know, if you're making a cranking out a lot of pizzas, you have to watch your charcoal, that kind of thing. But the, the rock box is awesome. In fact, we did it with wood and then we did it with gas. And he's like, I love the idea of doing it with wood because it's, you know, it's very romantic or whatever. But the gas, you just turn it on, preheat it, and you can just crank out like a pizza every two minutes. Yeah, it's (laughs) way easier. It's way easier, I guess. And he uses your he uses your dough recipe. He's, he uses a few, and I think he I think he's settled on a, a hybrid of two of his favorites for for the rock box. But he you know, and depending on also how much time he has. So if he he's making pizza really quick, he'll use a different recipe because you have you have different um, recipes. Like if you have more time, or if you need it like quicker. <laughs> yeah, um, you know the key part in any dough recipe that I do because time is always a big element. So mm-hmm. the key part is just laying out what the schedule is right up front. Right. Uh, and then you can see, because you can't, you're not going to make good pizza in two hours. Start to right, finish. right. You're It'll not. be like an overnight versus yeah. like if he wants to do a slow fermentation. But, yeah. you know, we, we, we have pizza at our house every single Friday. Nice. Every Friday. And then we even take it camping. So we take that rock box camping. <laughs> <laughs> we're taking it to the beach. We're taking it to the mountains. We just, you know, because we have a big one of those uh, Airstream type campers. And it has like a big propane tank on it anyway. So then he just carries the propane tank to the picnic table or wherever and just fires it up. Awesome. And he just takes his, makes his dough ahead of time. Um, keeps it in that little, uh, the little, you know, container. And then just everyone's happy. Like my kids love it. Um, everyone else's it's, kids love it. Yeah, you know, what you just described is way easier than you might think. It's funny. I know it sounds it sounds crazy. People are like, "What?" And I was like, "No, it's actually really easy because he just has all the dough balls ready to go. We just take the topping, yeah. and then yeah. since it's his job, I don't even have to make them. He just shapes. He just shapes them as he goes, and just everyone's eating. It's like one after the other after the other. You know, I take my be- my basil plant and. But I think the and, and the machine, I would say it's I mean, it's not that expensive and you get really good results. I mean, I still we still go out for pizza and we <laughs> we eat other people's pizza, too, because I think there's joy in having other people's style of pizza, too. But, you know, it really I, I think about my family memories and I, I tell Gregor, I said, one thing that I am grateful for is the child, the children, when they're old, they'll remember pizza night at our house every friday they'll remember pizza night you know so um but yeah i think what gregor was saying so much he loves your books is he when he started baking he was baking he was baking from your book prior to pizza and he was you know doing all of his he's like a big researcher he researched he read all this stuff he watched videos he you know all this stuff and it seemed people made it seem so complicated and so like mythical, this bread baking process. Right. And it just, and it was always this kind of guessing game and so many variables and factors and who knows what the moon is, you know, waxing and waning, whatever. And he got your book and he said, it's, he just made it so clear and simple and understandable. Like you made it, you distilled it down to, this is what you need to do. These are your ingredients. This is, you know, this is how you do it. And this is also, this is how you do it when you're baking in a home oven with what you got, because it's different if you're baking in a commercial bread kitchen, you know, and the quantities too, this is like manageable, <laughs> but he said nothing made sense until he read your book. <laughs> and then oh, that's, that's great to hear. So um, I've got some news for you. I've got um, my third book in the works. Oh, really? Uh, and we're targeting a, a little bit. I'm not going to give away the whole thing, but um, <laughs> uh, my working title is flower, water, salt, yeast, part two. Mm-hmm. And we're aiming for publication date of September next year. So the 10 year anniversary of my first book. Oh, wow. Uh, and this one's going to be all bread and mm-hmm. it's going to be all new recipes, uh, a new way of doing Levan that's uh, actually a lot more flour efficient mm-hmm. and, um, and easy. Uh, uh, I'm really excited about it. I've already, I'm in the editing stage of the manuscript. So all the recipes are developed. The The book is basically written and we're doing the back and forth right now on editing and then oh, that's, uh, that's photography will start real soon. Yeah, that's great. A, a great companion, you know, to have it because I think so many people, um, this was, you know, your book, Flour, Water, Salt, Yeast was their orientation to baking, you know, they baked every single recipe in the book, you know, um, so yeah, that's that's exciting to. I'm sure it'll be just as 
popular because now people people who never thought that they could bake before had success with your book and they probably want to expand i see people are so proud there's yeah. something about like when you make a when you make a you know when you roast a chicken or whatever okay a lot of people do that but there's something about bread where it seems like so magical you take these simple ingredients and and you're able to create something that looks like it came out of a bakery, like with the, with the ears, with a golden crust. I mean, people, people don't take pictures of like their hamburgers and stuff like that, that they make at home. <laughs> people take pictures of their bread, right? They're so proud. Yeah. Right. People are, I, I get tagged a lot of Instagram photos and I'm like, right. Oh, well, I'm glad you like it. <laughs> <laughs> of course you're looking at it going, yeah, the, you know, you know, I, I usually, well, I, I, yeah, I, I don't comment, you know, it's right. like, Hey, you look got, at the picture and make it darker, you know, whatever. Right, exactly. Well, you're rooting for the enthusiasm because, you, you know, everyone's got to start somewhere. Oh, it's great. Yeah, it's, it, it's exactly. Yeah, that's how I, I say is everyone's got to start. And you know what? Your first loaf is, I remember my friend during the pandemic baked her first <laughs> loaf and she sent me a picture and I was like, hmm. <laughs> I didn't know quite, but, I, but I was like, that's awesome the fact that you did that keep baking exactly. keep baking yeah. and you know each time it'll be improved and now i see people who are doing all sorts of like fancy scoring and just you know having really good results <laughs> so yeah there's some pretty talented uh, home bakers out there yeah i'm all for just i mean we but we, we we end up baking a lot of the bread here but like when gregor's out of town because you know because i i studied bread you know in culinary school and i bake bread in restaurants but at home, I'm just like, I just go to the bakery because they're doing it so well. And it's, for the cost of the bread, it's like worth it to me to not have to heat up my oven and not have to. I understand that people bake because they love the process, right? They love the, you know, for me, it's like, I just want the result when it comes to bread. I just want to go to the bakery and buy it. And I also want to buy a few different things, you know? Right. Yeah, I'm definitely. And I recognize your um, baguettes. My my kids um, love your baguettes. They're little baguette con connoisseurs. Um, they would rather have a, a simple baguette over like a pastry. Now days. that's a bread that you, you it's, it's, it's so hard to do in a home oven that I don't even yeah. want to, I don't even yeah. want to write a cookbook that has baguettes in it because it's, I just can't get behind it. You know, how do you get steam in the oven to stay in the mm -hmm. oven? Um, the round loaves, they work because they bake in a Dutch oven and so the loaves mm -hmm. themselves, but um, there's really not a Dutch oven equivalent for a baguette shape. And mm -hmm. Uh, I'm just like, I'm sorry. I'm not, everybody wants me to do a baguette recipe. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do it. It's not well, in my good, That's good to know. You know, I tell people that there's certain things that are just, it, the amount of effort and the work and stuff like that, just go and buy it. There are people who are doing it so well and you got to keep them. Yeah, but let's say you live somewhere that doesn't have a good bakery and you want a baguette. Right. You should build a baguette oven. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, I mean, other authors have done it. Um, I'll just send them to Peter Reinhardt or right. you know, someone else uh, who's, you know, they, they did a, as good a job as I would do, probably better. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't have the enthusiasm. You can tell that by my tone of voice. I don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I'm, I, uh, but you'll be, you know, you'll be surprised at some of the breads in my new book. So um, <laughs> I'm really excited about it and uh, look forward to we're wrapping it up. Uh huh. Do you do any flavored breads in your new book? Yeah, um, that's one of the things I'm enjoying. Is my first book was all about, you know, the core ingredients and mm -hmm. not making bread with stuff in it. Uh, this one right. has breads with stuff in it that I can really get behind, and I really enjoy doing. Um, mm -hmm. One of them, um, just a giveaway, is uh, the apple levain bread that I used to make at Ken's Artisan Bakery. Um, mm. I, um, I've got that recipe in this new book, um, and the dough is hydrated with apple cider, and it just it's it's all sourdough, and it's just it's so good. That's really right. good. Oh, that sounds My great. Esther told me she had to stop making it because she'd eat the entire loaf herself, <laughs> and she has a family. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, it's good stuff. I mean, I asked because I remember I used to get this chocolate bread in New York. I think it was at maybe Sullivan Street Bakery, and it was a chocolate bread, but it wasn't like a dessert. It was there was just enough chocolate in it that you could taste the chocolate. Um, but I would eat it toasted with butter. And it was really delicious. <laughs> and nice. Gregor, he's been trying to make a chocolate bread because he remembers that bread too. And we haven't oh, yes. quite gotten it right. <laughs> so 
<laughs> Jim Leahy made it, and you know it was good. Yeah, it was really good. And I, I but yeah, I mean, I we usually just go for um, regular bread, just plain simple bread. And but the kids love uh, rosemary in the bread. That's their favorite, <laughs> and they surprisingly like it with a little bit of whole wheat in the sourdough, which you know. I don't think of them as always wanting whole wheat, but they like whole wheat in their sourdough. So anyway, we have little bread eaters in our house. But yeah, they walk around um, with uh, the baguettes. It's quite funny. They'll walk down the street and they each want their own baguette. <laughs> so <laughs> but they, they're very like, they're very, I think, I think once you eat good bread, it's really hard to go back. You know, like we'll be traveling yeah, on a road trip. Want to go back. And they'll go to it. They'll work around it. We'll go to a small, you know, small town bakery or whatever like that. And they'll see something and they're like, it doesn't look quite look the same, but they, they want to get it anyway. I'm like, it's not going to be the same, like that, you know, um, and I try to steer them towards something that they, you know, like they probably do well, like just a dinner roll or something. But yeah, I mean, they really like that kind of nice crust and that um, interior. That's, I think when bread is really well done, it has its own flavor and it's like, it's almost has a salty quality where you can doesn't really need anything, maybe just a little butter or something. That's um, when it has good fermentation. Yes, it has flavor and you can taste the bread. It has its own thing. And so that's, you know, when you're eating good bread, I tell people, you know, it's okay. There's, it's so it's such a simple luxury in life. And when you think about the things that um, are expensive, food in general is, you know, fairly affordable that you can have the best of something and most people could probably afford it, you know? If you're talking a loaf of bread and a croissant, yeah, it's really democratic that way. And that's something yeah. that has always appealed to me greatly. Mm -hmm. Well, I wanted to ask you, because I, I don't really know, like, how did you, uh, well, I know how you got into baking, but like, were, did you always cook? Um, were you like, a, did you come from a family who liked to cook and bake? I mean, wh where'd you grow up? What's your background? Like childhood? How'd you get to be the amazing Ken Forkish that you are? Oh man, that was a long time ago. Um, <laughs> but you know, it, you know, I grew up in the '60s and '70s, and yeah, you know, every family, um, you know, every dinner, every meal was at home. It was, it was extremely rare to go out for dinner. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, my dad would put on a jacket, and I was like, oh, this is a thing. Um, um, so and where did you grow uh, up? Anyway, I grew up in Hyattsville, Maryland, suburban DC. Oh, okay. Um, but, um, no, was, uh, once I was out of the house and, you know, in my twenties, um, I enjoyed cooking at home. I, I definitely enjoyed it and mm -hmm. I was not very good at it, but you know, maybe I thought I was. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I think about my, when I was in my twenties, cause when I was growing up, my, my mom really, she let me bake because, you know, she's Korean and the Koreans don't really bake. So if I wanted something, I made it myself, like I made my own pies and cakes and cookies. And she was fine with that because she couldn't do it for me. But when cooking, when it came to cooking, she did all the cooking. And so I didn't get a lot of experience like cooking savory foods until I was out of college on my own. And I really loved like this is back when Food Network and all that stuff. I would watch these shows and I was cooking and stuff. And, and thinking back now, I don't know how good everything was, although people thought it was good. But then I also wonder about the company I was keeping. Like, did they really know what they were talking about? But I think about now and I think, oh, yeah, I definitely overcooked that pasta or wasn't seasoning it properly. Oh, or... it doesn't matter. It, yeah. it's, you know, we're way too judgmental about Right. Yeah, we get points so. points for enthusiasm. That's what I tell people. You know, you just got to do it, and you it may not be perfect, but and also you got to cook. I tell people to just cook the things that you love to eat. You know, you don't have to master everything, but if you if you love pies, just you know work on that pie. Or if you if you're really into pasta, it's like and you know if you go ahead make your own pasta if that's the thing you want to if that's the thing that you want to master. But you know. You can't do it all at once, for sure. <laughs> no, you can't do it all at once. Um, one of the things that got me into, you know, being a baker is I had wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to leave the twenty years of corporate jobs I had. You know, I knew mm -hmm. for a long time before I left that I wanted to find some other way to do it. Uh, but I wanted to craft, uh, so I wanted to use my hands to make a living instead of sitting mm -hmm. at a desk. Uh, I wanted to be phys physically active, and <laughs> I didn't. I got my ass kicked. <laughs> oh yeah. But for a long, for a few years, I wasn't sure. I I wanted to own a. I wanted if I wanted to have a bakery or a pizzeria, mm -hmm. and um, uh, I did. Obviously, you know the story. I, I opened the bakery and then did pizza afterwards. And, mm -hmm. um, they are attainable crafts. It doesn't right. take you know four years of grad school and 
um, you know, the things that a lot of other professions require. Mm -hmm. It is a, there is something mythical about like um, a romantic about bakers, right? Because it seems like they're always so, I always think of them as being so uh, like in their own thoughts as they're kneading bread and doing all that stuff. I remember being an intern. I worked in advertising too. I remember being an intern uh, downtown at an ad agency here in Portland um, in the summertime. And it was near kind of Yamhill, that whole area. And there was a big bakery there. I forgot what the name was, but they had a big glass window and I would on, you know, I'd go there and get a muffin or whatever. And I would just watch them at this huge wooden table. Somebody would dump this giant pile of dough and around the table, they would sit there and like, you know, cut, you know, and then shape balls, shape loaves and stuff like that. And it was, no one was talking. It was all very methodical, but they were all like in this kind of rhythm doing this thing. And it was yeah, it's a little bit hypnotic. Um, I still enjoy watching it happen. Uh, and mm -hmm. whether it's my bakery or someone else or my own hands doing it. Um, and when, like I've been, it, it's taken me three months to fill out my bread team in my bakery. I just put the last piece in place. But mm -hmm. I, you know, as I talk to prospective bakers um, who want to work at my bakery, the when, when someone tells me and I can just hear in the voice that they really want to get their hands in the dough, then mm -hmm. I know that they're a real baker. Yeah. Um, because once you've done it for a while, there's a certain physical sensation that is satisfying. It's not just the touch though, it's the touch and the process. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, the first thing you do is you dump a bu bunch of dough on the baker's bench and then you manually divide it into weights. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you might have one loaf that's, you're cutting it into 800 gram pieces. Um, mm -hmm. And then my hands take it and they fold it into a round and tighten it up a little bit and put it on a board. And mm -hmm. just that action, that's, I still do that. Yeah, I don't work the shift, but I go in while that's happening and I just go side by side with the other baker and I'm, um, I'm helping do pre-shape on the loaves or help do the final shape on the loaves. And mm -hmm. my hands always want to be doing that and they miss it when they're not doing it. Yeah. yeah. I would imagine like the muscle memory, you know, of just, you know, <laughs> you it's just greatly it. satisfying. Some of it's just, I think what your eyes see in terms of the motion and your hands just touch. And uh, I love repetitive activities. It doesn't work for everyone. Mm -hmm. uh, so a really good baker is someone who is okay, essentially doing the same thing every day. Um, mm -hmm. Even if every day, and usually what we say is, yeah, but every day is a little bit different. Yeah, maybe, maybe not so much. <laughs> I think what it is, is we really just like doing this every right. single day. Doing uh, it. Until your knees hurt, your back is sore, and then you say, well, maybe I need to do something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, what are some tips? I mean, I know a lot, there's a lot of bread bakers out there. I would, I want to make sure that people get some bread tips and some pizza tips from you. What do you get asked a lot or what, what would you say are some things that people should not forget or do? Uh, are we talking home bakers or professional home bakers, home bakers, like home you know, you're, you've got your standard home oven and you're baking bread. Uh, maybe it's sourdough. Um, what do they, oh, you know, it's, it's actually follow the instructions. Uh, so, mm -hmm. uh, I get an awful lot of people, I get feedback where, so I took Ken's recipe and then I changed this and changed that. And I really liked it. And so that's how I do it. And then they buy, so they think that they know better than I do how to make that bread. Maybe they do. Um, but, um, then when, somebody asks me, Hey, this bread's not turning out. And I inquire and go, Oh, well, I didn't really do that. Okay. Oh, I know. <laughs> the number one mistake I see is is taking shortcuts. That, that's right. actually the professional level too. Anybody that mm -hmm. takes shortcuts, um, something is going to, you know, not be as good. Right. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I get a lot of well, I you know, I that recipe that you gave me, I was like, didn't turn out. I was like, what would you do? And I find out that they omitted some ingredient or. So, oh, it seemed like a lot of butter. So I cut it in half. I was like, what, what are you thinking? <laughs> butter, it's not just for flavor. I mean, it has a function. You know? it's, yeah, totally. Yeah. And then what about pizza? What about when there's, I mean, there's, there's, I feel like there's all sorts of stuff going wrong when people make pizza. Um, Some people pizza, show, pizza. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it depends. It's going to depend on what dough recipe you use. I mean, you know, the first mm -hmm. thing about pizza is, and it's not all about the dough ball, but mm -hmm. it's all about the dough ball. <laughs> so, <laughs> for example, every pizzeria I visited in Italy, and I was really lucky. You know, I got to spend uh, a lot of time with Enzo Coccia. Not a lot of time, but I spent a few mm -hmm. hours there 
Enzo's uh, La Notizia in Naples. Um, and then I got to meet Franco Pepe and, um, and Kayato mm-hmm. uh, right. and Salvo. And, you know, in every case, they're showing me their dough balls. You know, they just bring mm-hmm. out a tray from their dough balls. Some are being refrigerated, some are not. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it's just like a standard thing of showing another pizzaiolo what their place is like is showing me their dough balls. And, <laughs> you know, it's what we do <laughs> because, well, what you know, the first thing you like? make dough, then you cut it, you make up your dough balls, and that's uh-huh. the foundation of your pizza. And if the crust isn't good, then your pizzeria is not going to be good. Your right. pizza's not going to be good. And um, so um, how does that translate to mistakes people make at home? It's shortcutting that process as well. Uh, so mm-hmm. it needs time. Uh, the yeah. dough ball itself needs the dough needs enough time to ferment, and that could be hours, it could be days. Uh, the mm-hmm. dough ball needs time to develop. At my pizzeria, we make our dough. Um, uh, uh, we we mix our dough. We make it up into dough balls. Hour and a half, two hours later, uh, and then the dough balls um, they go into refrigeration for a couple of days before we make pizza with them. Mm-hmm. So it's a really long, slow, cold development. And then mm-hmm. when we, you can like put a little slit in the top of your dough ball after it's like fully mature and spread apart the top. You can see like this giant web on the inside. It's super cool. Mm-hmm. And you don't get that development if that dough ball is only an hour old. And yeah. it makes, you know, your, your pizza is not as easy to stretch. It doesn't have the right flavor or the right texture. Like every single element of the pizza is wrong if you don't give the dough ball enough time to fully develop. Yeah. No, it's, you know, I was interviewing Sarah Massoni from the Food Innovation Center, and she said the same thing because she did some development work for a pizza company. And she's like, it's all about the dough ball. I don't know what she meant, but <laughs> that's she said the same thing. Now you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know that I'm always having to make room in the refrigerator for the dough balls because they have their own special container. <laughs> and traveling, when we travel, they have their own cooler. You know? <laughs> the pizza ball cooler. Right. Make room for the pizza balls, you know. But That's awesome. I also think that people, some people like, they 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 think too, they put too many toppings on their pizza. Like, I think more is better, especially like on these, you know, these kind of, you know, artisan style pizzas. It's not like we're making a Domino's pizza. <laughs> it's, it gets too wet or too, too many, too many things. I'm like, I could just make more than one pizza, make multiple pizzas and, you know, put a few, what's your thought on that? Well, you need, there's structural mechanics at play. It needs to yeah. work. Um, right. Yeah. And if it works, I don't care what you put on your pizza. If, as long as you're happy, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, uh, a little bit you, of everything. Uh, moisture content's a really big deal. And, uh, it's it's going to depend what what you can tolerate. It's going to depend on a lot of things. But um, right. if you you know, like a, the the big chains, there's really no sauce on those pizzas. There's a, you know mm-hmm. a tiny amount of red color in there, and then it's all fake cheese. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, the cheese is like um, holding it all. If you, if you do a pizza in a traditional way, where you put sauce on it and you put cheese on it. Um, you know, the sauce has a lot of moisture. It depends on what kind of cheese you use. If you mm-hmm. use fresh mozzarella, it's got a lot of water content. If you use mm-hmm. what's called low moisture mozzarella for a reason, it doesn't have as much moisture in it. But if you, uh, you can end up with pizza soup. If you just put too much cheese and sauce on top of the pizza, um, it's going to get soupy while it's baking. And you, right. you know, when you see it, you know what I mean when I say pizza soup. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's um, – and then the other part is, is it going to – do you have to turn your pizza while it's in the oven? Are you baking at a high temperature like in a wood-fired mm-hmm. oven? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if if you have too much sauce on a really thin crust, then as soon as you put your peel under the crust, it's going to break through, and then you burn your pizza and you got a huge mess. Right. Um, you do a pan pizza, it's not the same. You can – um, you don't really have to get a peel under it. You can make it, turn it. You can make pizza soup and it'll still come out okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, pizza's that thing where you that's a, make what you like, you know. Um, I did. It works structurally, you know, you can't. Yeah. Um, I agree. And that's, that's the point I was trying to make. Then mm-hmm. the, th- the thinness or the thickness of the crust is relevant or how much water content is in the dough. So, the dough recipes in my book, The Elements of Pizza, are mostly hydrated to 70% water, which is higher than what I do at my pizzeria because mm-hmm. we bake at a much uh, higher temperature. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the home oven at 500 or 550 degrees, 
um, uh, you can do, um, you, you need more moisture content in the dough itself because it's going to lose more because mm -hmm. it's seven or eight minutes of bake time. Um, if it's wood fired oven pizzeria, it's in and out in a minute and a half, then you, uh, um, you want a lot less moisture in the dough and it's going to be even more tender, even though it has less water in it because of mm -hmm. the fast yeah people are always amazed because we make the pizzas in our home home pizza oven and they take a, literally a minute and a half to two minutes when you're turning them but we just crank them out and they're <laughs> they they turn out great i mean they're they're fine but i i tell people like don't put too many things on there like just because in two minutes you can have another pizza so just you know like this one should be like these three ingredients and that one can be like these three my my kids only like neapolitan pizza so they like a really simple you know, with fresh basil, <laughs> that's, that's, that's their pizza. That's all they want. So. Yeah. Um, if, the, if the ingredients are really good, that's where the, you know, mm -hmm. it's really important to have great quality, you know, tomatoes, for your tomato mm -hmm. sauce or whatever right. you put on it. Uh, the simpler it is, the more pressure it puts on the quality of your ingredients and the quality yeah. of your dough. Yeah. Absolutely. I had Mike Thielen on the show and he waxed poetic about how much he likes your pizza with like the arugula salad and, or with, with this. No, he what which salad did he like? Uh, he's a big fan of our Caesar salad for yeah, sure. Yeah, your Caesar salad. He was just like, I, I was asking him about find last meals and you know favorite meals. <laughs> he was talking about your pizza, with the Caesar salad. And I was like, Thanks, yeah. Mike. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah. Well, certainly I know that you have uh, really upped the pizza game in Portland and showed people the way and then helped so many people around the country become better bakers, better pizza makers. I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, thank you, Ken. This was episode 15 of Food People Are the Best People with Ken Orkish of Ken's Artisan Pizza. Uh, go check him out. Go check out the books, The Elements of Pizza, Flour, Water, Salt, Yeast. Get those books. They're the best you can get. Thank you so much for joining today. Thanks, Judy Ann.